I'd like to look at, a, don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'd like, I'd like to look at a whole chapter today, Luke 19. Uh, but I'm only going to read a small section of it, but um, maybe you can read it when you get home because it's quite amazing how the chapter is put together. And obviously we know Luke and all the gospel writers didn't write in chapters, but you can see the logic going through this particular bit and actually you can see the logic of uh, the church fathers when they did put the, the word into, uh, into chapters because it really makes sense in describing this wonderful God that we have and the, the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. We live in a world of um, passwords and pin codes, don't we? It drives me balmy. I mean, we're, obviously, you know, we're just in the process of moving house so you've got to go on all these websites now, changing all your details. And uh, you've got a password for every, every website. And these particular websites that uh, want you to change your password every month or so, what's that all about? That's crazy. You know, gone are the days when you would perfect the most amazing signature of your name. And I can remember writing a really fancy signature. Loads of ways thinking, I like that one. I'm going to keep that one for the rest of my life and forming your own calligraphy about it. But those days are gone. How many people long for those days to come back? Come on, man. How many people are sick of passwords and pin codes? And yeah, okay, none of the young people are. They like that. But isn't it funny? I find myself a bit of a funny creature because I, I object to being a pin code and a, and a password. But... If I'm driving my car behind some flash array that's got a personalised number plate, I get jealous. Start thinking to myself, fancy, fancy having your name on a number plate. What's all that about? Why can't you just have a number and a few letters? You know, so I'm a bit of a hypocrite, really. But this well-known story in Luke's gospel really shows how how God sees us, how Jesus sees each and every person. So turn to Luke 19 and uh, we'll just uh, read it. This is the New Living Translation. Uh, it really shows us, well, every, every version shows us, that God, he knows us. He knows what we're like. And this chapter particularly shows us what God is not like which is really interesting because a lot of us get led down a really strange alleyway about what God or who God is and what he's like. But it also explains who he came for as well. So the first 10 verses go like this. A man entered Jericho. Sorry, Jesus entered Jericho uh, uh, and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business. He had become very rich and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, but he fell out of the tree, actually, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, 
Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, have come to seek and to save those who are lost like him. Wouldn't we all celebrate if in a week where all our national insurance is going to go up, Richie Sunak once turned around and said, tell you what, I'm going to give you back four times all the, all the tax that you've paid. We'd all be really happy, wouldn't we? And uh, obviously you'd all gift aid on that. That would, be, that would be fantastic. But anyway, so all of Zacchaeus's life, he'd been ridiculed, rejected. He was, well, his appearance wasn't up to much. He was a bit of a squirt. You know, little people have always got something to prove, haven't they? And anyway, but uh, he was, he was, he was a sinful guy. He was a cheating scoundrel. And uh, he was cheating people out of more than what they should have been paying in their taxes. And Jesus not only looked him in the eye, but he actually called him by his name. Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I'm coming as a guest to your house today. Like I say, imagine the shock of Zacchaeus. He, he was up the tree. He was probably just thinking, well, I'll get a good view of him, but he'll, you know, I'll not necessarily be seen. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? You know, when you go and see a show or something like that, or you go and see a, you never sit on the front row of a comedian, do you, when you go and see a comedian? Because they'll always get you. They'll always pick you out. And, uh, and when they do, it's really sort of like, oh dear, everybody's looking at me. But Zacchaeus must have, imagine how he felt when this, this guy who was becoming to grow in fame, he'd done miracles, he tells amazing sort of parables, and suddenly this guy's looking up to him and not just saying, hey you, he's actually saying, my name, Zacchaeus, come down. You see, God not only knows where you are, he knows who you are. He knows where you've been, he knows where you're going, he knows what you're going through. He knows why you're going through it and how you feel about it all. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he personally cares for you. His heart is moved for you. Everything that you're going through in your life, his heart is for you. Jesus knows your name. He never says, hey, you... He never says, hi, um, he says, hi, Ben, hi, Rachel. He says, hi, John, hi, Sheila. Jesus never drops his eyes awkwardly and just shuffles on by. He knows us all by name. And knowing a person's name is like, well, it's like crossing an ocean in their, into their world. Knowing a name opens up the miracle of friendship and fellowship. Nameless greetings, well, they're polite, they're cordial, but they're not the stuff that families are made of, are they? No one introduces their brother as, um, what's his name, or anything like that. You know them. 
In fact, never hearing your name is extraordinarily depersonalizing. Sometimes we can do this when we're very close to somebody. You know, husbands sometimes say, oh, the missus. You know, it's, uh, it depersonalizes if you're not careful. You know, there's nothing better than saying, I love you. But it's even better to say, I love you, Lisa. I've got to say that, it's our anniversary today. <laughs> and uh, she's at home, she's packing. We're moving house on Tuesday. Woohoo! Uh, we're not moving in. That's the, tell the solicitor, sort the solicitor out. If you're watching, whoever you are, solicitor, please get it sorted quick. But anyway, there you go. God, know, God even loves solicitors. And, uh, you know, if he could give me a bit of love for solicitors, that would be very, very nice. But anyway, but God knows everything about us. It's completely pointless to hide. It was completely pointless for Zacchaeus to even for a moment believe that he was hiding in that tree. And in this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the God of the whole universe, the God who created each and every star, and knows them by name, knew Zacchaeus by name. I don't know if you've ever camped out under the stars. It's pretty amazing. If you've ever been on one of these adventure weekends where you just literally, you're under a little tarpaulin, that's it, but you can see all the stars and absolutely amazing. You see those stars, you know that you can't even begin to count them all those countless galaxies in the universe. But underneath those stars, you realise how immense the universe is. So unimaginably vast. And you, you stand there underneath them, feeling very, very small. And then, as you do, if you just incline your ear towards God, you'll hear him by his Holy Spirit whispering to you, speaking to you. And you think, this God that created the whole universe is interested in me. He knows us by name. He knows you. Somehow, somehow you realize that he knows everything about you. If you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus seems to know everything about everyone he meets. He seems to just know. It's that moment when he meets Nathaniel. And uh, Jesus describes him as a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. And Nathaniel's astonished and he asks, how do you know me? Well, he knows you. He's God. It's that moment in the life of the, the rich young ruler who asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him exactly what he needs to do. In his case, sell everything and follow me. The rich young ruler is amazed because he knows, he knows he's not got the right God. He's got things as his God. It's that moment in the life of the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus reveals to her in astonishment that he knows that she's already had five husbands and the guy who she's with right now isn't even her husband. It's that moment in the life of Matthew, the tax collector, when Jesus sees him and tells him to follow me and he drops everything and goes with Jesus. Nicodemus, the important guy who comes at night and Jesus tells him, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. 
He knew that that would be a big thing for, for Nicodemus. And it's that life in the uh, moment in the life of Judas sitting at the table with all the rest of the disciples. And Jesus turns to Judas and says, Judas, you're going to betray me. He knew. He knew. It's that moment in life from which you know you, you cannot hide. It's pointless. You cannot escape. It's that moment that's both terrifying and comforting, unsettling and yet reassuring both at the same time it's terrifying because you realize that you can no longer pretend you know that it's useless to live a life of illusion and somehow you might be able to impress God with sort of like some of the good deeds that you do but deep down you know you're just a a filthy rotten sinner really he knows every secret every thought every word you've spoken everything that you've done and it can be dreadfully uncomfortable. You have that sudden awareness that it's no longer possible to be hidden any longer. And yet you're the very centre of God's attention and affection. For some inexplainable reason, it's reassuring. If God knows everything about me, and yet he still wants to call me by name. This is astonishing. He, he calls out to me, not to terrify me, but to speak to me as a friend, to reassure me. It removes that fear and it draws me closer to God. That's the, that's the God that we have. That's, that's the real picture of God. Do you know what your name means? I mean, Andrew, it's pretty obvious. It, it means manly, you know. Daniel, I think it means God is my judge. Mm, there you go. He's everybody's judge, actually. But would you believe that Zacchaeus means pure one? I mean, his mum was in hope, weren't she? You know, pure one. That's the last thing that you would think when you think about this corrupt, conniving little government official. He was anything but pure. And yet, Jesus calling Zacchaeus by name. Hey, pure one, come down. I'm coming to your house today. See what he's doing. Jesus is affirming what he saw in Zacchaeus, not what he was. What Zacchaeus would become, not what he was now. And you may be afraid, even now, to get close to Jesus because you think he's going to scold you. You think he's going to embarrass you. You think he's going to judge you. For, for all the wrong that you've done. But Jesus wants to affirm to each and every one, even people that are at home this morning, he sees what you can become, not what you're now, what, what you are now. You see, someone once wrote, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God, well, he knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Because he can see, he can see what you can become. This is the God that we worship. This is the personal God. The God who created us for a relationship with him. Mankind got it wrong and yet God pursued us. And when that relationship was broken, he provided a solution. Jesus says in verse 10, he came to seek and to save all those that were lost. All of us were lost. All of us had a sin problem. All of us need that dealing with. Isaiah 49 says this, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child that she has born? Even if it were possible, 
I would never forget you. See, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. When Jesus died on the cross, he stretched out his arms and the soldiers put nails through his hands. And my name, your name, was written there, engraved there for all eternity. Jesus is going to be the only one who's got scars in heaven. We're all going to have a brand new body. I'm going to be six foot four. In, uh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be Tom's size in, uh, in, in heaven. I'm fed up with being five foot five. But I'm going to have no scars whatsoever. Jesus is going to have the scars. And that's going to remind me that Jesus died for me. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we have. That's Zacchaeus. If you just take a little glimpse through the rest of that chapter, we see it highlights, it highlights the fact that many people have got a wrong view of God. There's a short parable about a king that's going away or he's going to be crowned king soon and he's going away probably to be crowned and he gives his servants all a portion of money to, to invest while he's away. Nine of them invest it. One of them buries it doesn't do anything with it whatsoever and when the when the king returns he calls in these servants and he asks them what have you done with the money how have you invested it it gets to the last one and he says well I know you to be a man who's hard and so I buried it and the king is really angry with that servant not because he's not got an investment for his money but because he's got a wrong view of who he is. He's not hard. He's not hard. He's a generous, generous master. And that's exactly, clearly the listeners to Jesus in that time. Jesus was aware that they were getting a wrong view of God. The Pharisees were schooling the people in a wrong, twisted and warped view of God. They'd made God out to be a hard taskmaster, full of rules and regulations. They'd made the way to God futile and fruitless. And Jesus was clearly saying here, my father's not like that. My father's not like that. And the way to him is through his son, not through all these rules and regulations. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to say here. This king that was re rejected and sent away is coming back in glory. And he's going to come and say, what did you do with your life? What did you do? And he's going to take us with him. But Jesus was going on to suffer and die in Jerusalem. And we see this going on, unfolding in this chapter. We see him riding towards Jerusalem. And then being overcome with emotion and weeping for this city. Revealing his real heart. For people, you might think that God's hard. You might have a bit of a distorted view of God because of your upbringing or anything like that. Let me tell you today, Luke is describing Jesus' heart for every single person who doesn't know him as Lord and Savior. His heart cries for you. His heart longs for you. It says here, as, his, as a mother wants to gather the chicks God wants to gather you in. He wants to gather you in uh, as into that relationship of warmth, of love, of security for all eternity. Jesus was leading them on here and he was showing them what the true picture of the Father was. He goes into Jerusalem and he goes into where the temple courts were and 
you might not know, but the temple in Jerusalem was divided up into certain quarters. Jewish men could go to a certain part of it. Then there was the Jewish women. They could go to another court and they could worship there. And then there was a court for everyone else who wasn't, who wasn't Jewish. They could go and just, just experience what it was like to be in the, 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 the presence of, of Israel's God. And they could go there. And yet Jesus finds this court absolutely full of all the traders. Buying, selling, ripping people off. Uh, not using the right scales, weighing things out wrong and everything like that. And Jesus' righteous anger rears up and he tips the tables over and drives all these people out. They were literally making no room for other people. Now, the great thing is that we know Jesus came to die for every single person. Doesn't mind what, matter what your nationality is. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, whether you're English, whether you're Scottish, whether you're African or, or whatever, wherever you're from. Jesus died for you and I. And him tipping over the, the tables in the temple courts were an expression of him saying, there's room in my kingdom for everyone. And yet the traders here were ripping people off. Maybe in your experience so far, somebody has ripped you off in what your view of God is. Maybe they've sold you a dud of religion and do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and how much you put in the offering and everything like that. That's not God. That's not the real God. The real God is crying out to you today, saying, come to me. I cry over you if you're not in relationship with me. I, I went to the cross for you so that we could come into relationship. I know your name. I cry out to you. I don't see what you are now. Well, I do see what you are now, but I see what you can become. I know what you can become. Do you see it this morning? Do you see it? Jesus wants your heart to be clean. He wants your spirit to be pure. There's only him can do that. Accepting what he did on the cross is the only way of doing that. Coming to Jesus in full surrender, saying, Jesus, there's nothing that I can do to save myself. I am flawed, inside out, back to front, upside down. The whole of me is flawed. But you have made the way possible, and I surrender my life to you. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people there were shouting, Hosanna, and they were bowing before him. They were laying their, their cloaks on the floor uh, so that the, the, the donkey that he was riding on could, could walk on like a carpet. But they had a totally wrong expectation of what Jesus was going to do. They thought that he was going to come and make their whole lives rosy, get rid of the Romans and, uh, and set up this wonderful kingdom on earth. And they had a a wrong view of what God was going to do. Now, it might be that you right now think, well, okay, if I accept Jesus into my heart, he'll, uh, he'll give me everything that I want. He'll make sure that I'm rich and famous and you know, comfortable and, and everything like that. And actually, Jesus was riding to Jerusalem and he knew that they had the wrong expectations. But he knew that some would turn to him in faith. And he would, he would set up a home for them, 
for all eternity because Jesus knows that life's not just about the short time that we spend on earth. It's about eternity. And some, some realized that and they committed themselves to, to him. I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know that if you give your life to Jesus, I can't promise you that your life here on earth will be absolutely sorted out all fine and dandy because there'll be things that you are, consequences in your life that you are living with that might affect how you go on in life. But I'm not saying that Jesus can't heal you. He can. I'm not saying that Jesus can't change your situation. He can. I'm not saying that Jesus can't provide for your needs because he can. He's a loving God. But giving your life to Jesus right now is about giving your life into his life. Inviting him into your life so that your eternity is sorted. Not just your life here on earth. Your eternity is sorted. It's an investment. Talking back of investment. It's an investment for the whole of your spiritual life and your spirit lives on. If our spirits live on, then they either go to eternity or somewhere else. My Sunday school teacher, when I was seven, scared us all into heaven by talking about hell. And then um, at the very end of the lesson, he said, right, who doesn't want to go to hell? Well, of course, I put my hand up. And he said, right, well, you better give your life to Jesus. I don't think that's really what Luke is saying here. But what he is saying is, Jesus died for your eternity. Will you give your life to him? Will you give your life to him? Will you accept that you're not particularly good at living your life? And will you accept the fact that if you live your life with God in your life, not just this world will be better for you, but the whole of eternity will be. This morning, whether you're watching or whether you're in here, you can give your life to Jesus. You can acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You can acknowledge that Jesus is, rose again and lives. He is alive. None of us are here because we believe in a dead God. We'd be all walking in Mark Eaton Park or, or having a nice leisurely Sunday morning if that was the case. We're here because we worship a living God. We believe that he is alive in our lives. We believe that we can communicate to him. We believe he knows us by name. He knows your name this morning. Will you give your life to him? Let's bow our heads, shall we? If Jesus knows everything about us, if he knows us by our names, he cares about us. He cares so much about us that he died on the cross for us. And this morning, you can give your life to him. You can put your hand in his. You can put your heart in his. He's holding out his, his arms for you right now. Will you run towards them? If you're at home, you can pray this prayer with me. If you're in the building, you can pray this prayer with me. You can pray it but you might not necessarily mean it. So I'd, I'd ask you to not just pray this prayer, but to pray your own prayer as well of repentance.
but this is just a simple guide. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all my sin. I realize it was a barrier between me and you. Lord, I give you my life. I ask you to take on all my sin, all my rubbish, and save me today. Bring me into your family. Bring me into relationship with you. And Lord, may you be king, proper king of my life. Not just here on earth, but for all eternity. I want to be a follower of you. Like Zacchaeus, I want my life to be turned around, changed and transformed. Lord, help me get a good view of you, a proper view of you, and to put my trust in you. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, it would be really good for us to know that. But moreover, or as well, we'd love you to do Alpha. Alpha is starting very soon. It's a brilliant course that allows you to ask all the questions that you you want to ask and more. Uh, and it starts in just a few weeks' time. If you're at home right now, you can, you can drop us an email on say hi at Derby City Church. Let us know whether you prayed that prayer this morning. Let us know whether you want to know more about Jesus. But also let us know that you want to do Alpha. You can log on to the DCC website and book a place either online or in person on, a, on an Alpha group starting really soon. It would be great. If you're in the building today and you've given your life, life to Jesus, come and talk to me, Dan, or some other trusted Christian who, who you know. Just tell someone. Uh, but also, sign up to Alpha as well by using that website because it'd be great to just grow together in learning more about Jesus. God bless you this morning.